0: We are part of that very microscopic demographic that is paying attention. We know what's going on, and we're mad. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare.
1: Hey, folks. Welcome back to the show. It's the Lions of Liberty Show, the Lions of Liberty Podcast. This is episode number 137. If you want to learn more about the things you're going to hear about in today's show, head over to lionsofliberty.com forward slash 137. But before you do that, you might want to go get some new killer liberty gear over from our friends at libertymaniacs.com. Get a 10% discount off your entire order by using the discount code Lions of Liberty. And if you are having convulsions, From Obamacare, sticker shock. Convulse no more, my friends. Be sure to check out the exciting alternative to Obamacare from our friends at Health Excellence Select. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com forward slash health. My guest today is an entrepreneur, an investor, and the creator of You Paid For It, the goal of which is to hold politicians accountable and put an end to insane government spending. He is also the host of the You Paid For It podcast podcast. John Maddox, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast.
0: Mark, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, talking about this stuff with your audience. And uh, hopefully, let's uh, inspire some folks to uh, take action and hold our politicians accountable for their, let's get real, incredibly insane actions.
1: Well, that's what we're here for. That's why I do this show. It's to inspire people to sort of change the way they view politics, philosophy, and all that sort of things. And we'll talk about your project. You paid for it in a few minutes. First, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just tell us you know, a little bit about yourself, how you first got into politics. You know, Were you always a political guy, or did this just kind of come to you later in life as you got into business and that kind of thing?
0: Well, my background, uh, I've been a serial entrepreneur since college. Uh, i got a, kind of an interesting background. Uh, I'm American, but I was born and raised in England. Uh, my father was a military contractor, and uh, they moved over there uh, about 10 days before I was born. Um, so I had the opportunity to really... Visit a lot of different countries, get a lot of different perspectives uh, from in politics and history and i 've always loved history it 's been kind of one of my foundational things you know when I went to college, I thought about uh, majoring in history and I looked to see if I could make any money doing it and I realized that was a very low proposition. so I went into business so i 've always been passionate about politics, but uh, you know for the last ten years i 've been so consumed in you know building my companies and you know, growing them and dealing with employees and clients that even though I was focused on politics and paying attention personally. Um, I was my time was so consumed uh, with other things that uh, I wasn't really taking large action outside of you know my own personal sphere of influence. But a, a couple of years ago, I uh, had this idea. While I was sitting there having a drink with uh, my old business partner, and I was on a tirade about politics. And I had this idea of you know what's the one thing that politicians are afraid of, and that is well, there's two things really. It's not being able to dodge a three day news cycle. And uh, not being able to lie to our face uh, convincingly enough three weeks before an election. So I started thinking about you know, my backgrounds in you know, marketing and technology. And I really started thinking about different methodologies and technologies that could be used um, in today's world to start calling them out, not just on traditional media, but leveraging social and other advertising platforms to really start calling them out. But what really got me passionate, you know, so I've had this idea and what's turned into You Paid for It uh, for several years now, but what really you know, kind of made me pull the trigger on it. Um, was uh, two years ago, I had – I almost died. I had a massive brain hemorrhage, and you know, I, should have, I should have not be talking to you right now. And uh, very, very long story short, uh, my sense of immortality was stripped away from me. And as I I have a child, and as I've seen so many different things just progressively get worse and worse and worse, Um, and the ability of politicians to get away with wasting our money, and we're now getting, economically, we're getting to a point where if it's not stopped very, very quickly, you know, we're all in in it for a lot of chaos. And that really shifted, you know, some of my focus, you know, the combination of having my sense of immortality stripped away, having a daughter, and then I'd sold my company, and I had a little more time on my hands. And I started really thinking about you know i've I've allowed a decade of my life to be consumed with uh building wealth, but that could be taken away in an instant if we continue down this path and that was what uh my long winded way of saying uh how I become both passionate in politics you know uh, on a day to day basis um you know personally all the way to really want to become an activist and take action uh, rather than just talk about it
1: wow that's amazing so it it literally took a near death experience for you to Realize that you needed to sort of, I guess, try to make the world a better place. Um, You know, you have a child and that kind of thing. So that's really incredible. So why government spending? Why has that become your focus? Why do you see this as an issue that has the potential to drastically affect or negatively affect the future of this country and, and ourselves and our children and our children's children?
0: Well, you know, there's there's two aspects to it. Number uh, from a foundational logic perspective of um, how can we appeal cross party lines. So, you know, a lot of your listeners are are conservatives, and I am as well. But there's one issue that crosses party lines, and if you look at the data and the polls and the and the studies, uh, government spending, government waste, um, and the economy are the top issues whether you're democrat republican independent libertarian it doesn't make any difference we all agree that something's got to be done about the ridiculous spending that's going on in washington and on the state and local level um so initially you know the, the foundation of this is you know how can we cross party lines and does not be continue to allow the politicians to separate us on a partisan basis um so what was the initial issue that we all agree on it's money uh secondarily um you know when it comes to politics, a lot of us have been you know, disenfranchised but also become very discouraged and distraught even paying attention to it because everything that comes out of the politicians' mouths, a lot of the political action committees and whatnot, um, it's all spin. It has nothing to do with the actual facts. And when it boils down to money and appropriations and spending, that's something they can't lie about too much. Well, they, they are trying to lie about it, but they can't get away with it because you know the Congressional Budget Office does an analysis of every single bill. How much is it going to cost us? Is it increase or decrease? Um, so to start off with, it was, hey, let's look at a, uh, a set of data that we can, we can turn into an entertaining communication strategy. But at the same time, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for people to argue against it when all they have to do is go and Google it themselves, look at the Congressional Budget Office and other budgetary committees, and see exactly what they said it's going to cost. I just
1: want to touch on one thing real quick, briefly, since you did mention you grew up in England, and I, I just I spent about six months there once um in, in Manchester, England, about well, ten, fifteen years ago or so, and and. They definitely look at government and, and the role of government very differently. Uh, so you, can you touch on any thoughts you might have on that and how, like, you know, sort of relating these issues to an American audience as you, you know, largely are now, although we do have some listenership around the world, but, you know, the majority of the people listening will probably be American today. And, um, you know, how would you compare How would you relate to an issue like this about government spending to an American audience as opposed to, say, if you were speaking to someone uh, from England?
0: Well, you know, the, the English, um, their political system is significantly different than ours. You know, there's, there's similarities, but a lot of differences, you know, so for example, the members of parliament, the amount of money they can spend and the amount of time they can campaign is limited. I think it's six months is the total that you can uh, campaign. And like I said, there's a cap on the amount of money and let's get real here in the States. He who raises the most money has a very strong probability of winning in our elections. So that's just the blatant reality of what's going on. Um, and in England, they obviously shift it to uh, try and limit the amount of capital and then, uh, how much influence can be purchased um, by um, outside entities over the politician? One of the other really big things I think that's different uh, about the English system, which I've always wished we did here in the States, is uh, prime minister question time. Are you, are you familiar with that?
1: Oh, yeah, that's where they um, just basically harass the prime minister for a couple hours. I've seen that on C-SPAN before. It's pretty entertaining.
0: It, it, it's very entertaining, but it's a aspect of holding uh, the leadership to account. And, you know, to me, the fact that we, you know, in America, we're the, we the people are supposed to hold the politicians accountable, but we're not paying attention. And you know, it, I'll, later I'll dive into the logic behind and um, you paid for it. But when you look at the data, incumbent politicians currently have a 94% chance of reelection. Now, that number obviously is astronomic. Um, but what people don't often talk about is what's the flip of that? What's about the 6% chance of losing their job? And if you really put that into the perspective of the rest of us that have jobs and and do things, uh, let's think about this for a second. If you only had a 6% chance of getting fired, is it reasonable to assume that you're going to do whatever the heck you want to do whenever you want to do it and not really care about what your boss has to say because you know he's not going to fire you?
1: Sure, you're just going to focus on the very few things that might land you in that 6%. But anything else that falls into the 94 sounds like you're good to go.
0: Right. So and then, then when we sit here on, you know, people that are paying attention to politics, we're sitting around wondering, how in the heck is it possible these guys are doing this and getting away with it? And how can they look themselves in the mirror, as they do these things and lie to our face? But when you put it into that perspective of, hey, only 6% of the people are actually uh, versus only 6% chance of getting fired. Uh, heck, I don't know about you, but there's a statement, uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Well, if you only have a 6% chance of losing that power, I'd say you have the probability of being uh, corrupted is pretty reasonable.
1: Incumbency rate, right? can you just touch on that briefly? I mean, it seems like you know, at least two candidates every time. So you'd think maybe there's a 50-50 a chance at least that somebody's going to lose their job, but <laughs> obviously the numbers don't, don't play it out like that. So why is that?
0: Well, it's twofold. Number one, only about 40, it varies over the elections, but generally for the last 20 years, I think, only 47% of the eligible voters actually gets out and vote. So by default, the number of people you have to influence and or convince that you're not lying to them is dramatically smaller than the actual number of potential voters. Secondarily to all that, the there's there's study after study to support this logic. The majority of that voter base doesn't even start paying attention until three weeks before the election. So I don't know if you you probably all noticed this. Um, magically about three weeks before the actual date of the election. TV advertising and radio advertising suddenly skyrockets from all the candidates, right? Um, of course, the ones that had the most money, they've been doing it for the previous you know, four or five months, but uh, everybody kind of saves their money to the end.
1: You're not going to be able to watch a single football game without seeing a pol- an <laughs> exactly. ad for some politician or another.
0: Exactly, and it's it boils down to – there's actually, it's actually pretty interesting studies on this, but it literally boils down to people's perspective of politicians. The majority of politicians these days is, which one do I think is less full of BS? oh wow
1: that's a it's quite a quite a sad standard we've set <laughs> <laughs> right
0: and i and I know that's very disheartening to a lot of folks when you when you think about that great so most people don't even care they just want the guy who's a, a little bit less of a liar and you know in my opinion there's there's still good people in our country and around the world but you know, we're talking about America here they're still good people and they still run uh but they're being so limited to you know, how much money can I raise? The current incumbent generally has more money than them. And this is what it really boils down to. It's name recognition. Because most people aren't paying attention, and a lot of people will admit this, they go to the voting booth and they're like, man, what was that guy? What was his name? Yeah, I'm going to vote for him, right? They haven't paid attention at all to what they've been doing. Oh, I've heard of that
1: guy. So, yeah, that's, that seems like the guy.
0: It's name recognition. The premise of You Paid For It is what if we can shift – that name recognition from a positive to a negative or not to a negative depending on the actions of that politician. But if over the course of a term and based on their actions, we can shift that public perception from just pure positive name recognition to their status based on action, then let's say the incumbent has been doing a bunch of stuff that is uh, not right and breaks their campaign promises, you know, so on and so forth. Then, whether or not the constituency of that incumbent is the person that the voting base wants to vote for now shifts. They might not know if they want to uh, vote for the challengers because they don't know who they are yet, but they sure as heck know they're not going to vote for the incumbent.
1: So, let's get into the nuts and bolts of this project here. You Paid For It. What exactly is this, and how does it work?
0: Well, You Paid For It is founded upon the premise of crowdsourcing and crowdfunding. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of the whole premise of crowdfunding. It's not rocket science. It's been proven as a model. Um, it enables you know people to come together as a collective and monetarily help somebody uh, take things to a new level in business. Um, so I really started thinking about this in context of politics, and it was you know there's a lot of us that are passionate and want to do something about it, but we have neither the time, the capital, the marketing experience, you know, all the Videographers and graphic designers and all the things that would be uh, resources that would be needed uh, to pull off a campaign. Um, However, we do most of us have enough money that if we banded together and those requirements were removed from the equation, uh, we could call out the politicians. Um, So what I put together was a crowdfunding platform on youpaidfor.it that enables you to a submit an issue. So we got crowdsourcing here. I don't know everything that's going on. Um, you know, things you can research things uh, on your side that, um, have some, it means something to you. We go through verify and then create a campaign, an uh, initial campaign for that particular issue. And then the only thing that's left to do is crowdsource the capital. Now, a lot of folks uh, ask me the question, well, how much money do you need? You know, all these political organizations out there are raising, you know, millions of dollars and somehow nothing's happening to change the outcome of these elections. And that we have more of the status quo. Um, That's where social advertising comes into play. So uh, currently the average American spends 14% of their waking hours on social media platforms. And it's a a huge number. And that's again, that's the average. So there's a lot of people doing a heck of a lot more for it to be at 14% as the average. Uh, But from an advertising perspective, the amount of capital required to influence a a voting base is not that big. So – I live in Nashville, Tennessee in uh, District 5, and uh, there are 600,000 and some change voters, people of voting age in my district. Well, if I can convince, uh, let's say, 1,000 people in in my district to give $20 a month and 80% of every dollar that's given goes directly to an advertising campaign to call out that politician, uh, my current incumbent, uh, Jim Cooper, to call him out for his actions – His entire term, not waiting until three weeks before the election, but from the day he takes office until the next election, uh, we're calling out for his actions over and over and over again. So let's say a 1,000 people give 20 bucks a month. Um, The average cost per video view on social platforms is a penny. So that $20,000 buys you uh, about a million, 1.2 million views of that video. Now, if my objective – I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to – I don't care if you go to a website or all that kind of stuff. All I care about is you saw and heard the actions of that politician. There's only 600,000 potential voters in its entirety in my district. Uh, $20,000, we can have our videos viewed a million times, and you do that every month. For an entire term, it is, in my opinion, is extremely reasonable that you could influence the number of voters needed to shift the curve away from the favor of the incumbent and give the challenger an opportunity.
1: So you're basically trying to sort of shed some light on that concept you talked about earlier where people base their votes on who is basically full of the least BS. So you're trying to basically show them who is full of the most BS by keeping these guys in front of their eyes. So this is going to is this always issue specific targeted or is it always politician targeted? How does it actually work? Are you, is it always kind of local based or do you just kind of, you know, explain sort of how the, how the details work then because when people when people are funding something, right? They're they're going to be funding some specific campaign, is that right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So you, when you uh, decide to give money, you get to select um, which one of the current campaigns we're running that you want to support, or after you submit your issue, if it's one that uh, you know we verify and say, okay, we're going to run with this one. Uh, obviously, you can back your, your own personal issue that you submitted. Um, but but to me, the, the thing I, I say to everybody that asks me the question is, look, A, you can support whatever you – any campaign that you want. But secondarily, let's cut through the BS. Your money – Goes to calling out people for the action which you want to call them out for. It's not a blanket donation to uh, to the fund, and then hey, maybe it'll go to the one you want. You get to pick exactly which one you want it to go to. And then eighty percent of every dollar that comes in, that's what it goes to is the advertising budget. Um, it's something I really talk to folks about in context of you know is this something that's reasonable to uh, you know expect the outcome the uh, think about business, traditional business uh, so the traditional business at the high end spends ten percent of their revenue on on uh, advertising right and they manage to grow and expand and reach increase their brand awareness influence and all those kind of things um, if we 're spending eighty percent of every dollar that comes in the door directly on advertising, it is extraordinarily reasonable to assume based on existing data that the amount of influence that can be expanded is extraordinarily reasonable. And this is before you even start to count virility into the equation. So we're just talking about paid advertising. We're not even getting into uh, Facebook shares, retweets, so on and so forth, which obviously extrapolates out the the amount of influence and the number of times this data and information has been put in front of potential voters.
1: Sure, and these numbers are just based on – People that are just going to see it initially, and you can never necessarily predict how certain bits of information, videos, what have you, are going to go viral you know, through the, the sharing, through the tweets and that kind of thing. Uh, likes on Facebook, and that can just extrapolate this even you know, to astronomical levels depending on the issue and, and the kind of thing that might catch fire.
0: Exactly, exactly, and that's why I said um, you know, based all of the data and you know, the strategy and the methodologies that we're employing on what's something that we can – there's absolutely no if, ands, or buts that we can buy. You know, in terms of views and, and amount of influence, how much money do we need to have a reasonable expectation of causing a impact inside of a constituency? Now, obviously, the one I live in is pretty big, but there's a lot of other districts out there that are a fraction of the size. So if you look at the math, you know, let's say I only need to, you know, there's only 50,000 voters in this district, right? Well, that means you only need to, you know, you might only need two or three grand to be raised to call a particular politician out versus one like mine where you need you want to have a bigger budget to be able to influence uh, enough people on enough times does that make sense
1: yeah absolutely I'm wondering, John, is, is I'm sure you've kind of heard this objection before, or maybe not even in a specific way, but the general objection that, look, I mean, we like what we're hearing from you, John. We think this is a great idea, but there are plenty of government accountability organizations out there. We always hear every single election cycle, all this outrage about pork barrel spending, about all these ridiculous <laughs> things that, pe- that the government's spending money on, and yet nothing ever changes. So, you know, why do you think that this is, this is such a unique project? Why do you think this is going to be the one that finally opens? Opens people's eyes to the point that can actually create change in the way our government's
0: run. Well, yeah, I actually have heard that that question before. And to be honest, I before I decided to, you know, step up and finally pull the trigger on this, I had been one of those people that was very frustrated with what you just mentioned. You know, what about all these these organizations that have ridiculous budgets? I mean, one I won't name names, but uh one of them, which is one of the most recognizable, their budget last year, their endowment from donations. Let's get this right, donations was $106 million. They spent 102 of the $106 million that was given to them. And there's a grand total of 47 people that work at that organization. And to your point, what are they doing? You know, why is there not impact being made? You know, and I explained the math of, hey, for $20,000 a month, we can influence people a million times. If you have $106 million, how in the heck, and you already have credibility and establishment, how in the heck are you not being able to influence, you know, exponentially greater numbers of people through the same methodology. You're all supposed to be a bunch of geniuses and you have all these fellowships and PhDs and whatnot, and yet all you do is hang out in the Washington bubble and you know occasionally you get to be contributors on you know Fox and CNN and MSNBC and feel great about yourselves for, hey, we spoke the truth and we did this crazy study, but let's get real. The people that aren't paying attention, we are the ones that can create the accountability. And until we are made aware of this not- Just in the time when they're all trying to get our vote and they're going to say whatever the heck they think that we need to hear to get our vote, then, in my opinion, we have no ability to countermand the ridiculous level of control and manipulation of us as voters that's been successfully accomplished by our incumbents.
1: It's almost like these other organizations, or maybe several of them, are kind of like the privatized version of these sort of unaccountable government agencies. Maybe people just send them money, they see them on Fox News, they think that their guys are doing a great job, they're out there spreading the message about all this outrage, and yet at the end of the day what are they really spending all the money on? Not on really effective campaigns. I mean, maybe they're spending it on ridiculous things, ridiculous dinners and that sort of thing. I don't know, I haven't seen their books but there does seem to be a lack of accountability on any level, whether it's government or in the private sector, when people are sort of disconnected from the reality of the situation and that can happen with a giant uh, you know, giant organization, whether it's government or not.
0: One of the things I always um, always like to say is, you know, for people like us, and I, I would imagine for a lot of the people listening to this right now, we are part of that very microscopic demographic that is paying attention. We know what's going on, and we're mad. And of course, so when we see it on Fox News, and it's like, yeah, I agree with that exactly. You're absolutely right. I'm so glad that I'm not, you know, out to lunch with thinking the exact same thing. Well, guess what? We're a myopic segment of the population. That's why with what I'm trying to do with you paid for it is let's shift the curve and collectively let's expand the region of influence because the majority of America isn't stupid. They're either so disheartened with where politics have gone, they've stopped paying attention, or they just aren't paying attention at all because they're so busy trying to put food on the table, roof over their head, pay for college. There's so many things going on that keep them from paying attention to politics that It's just, in my opinion, it's just a matter of putting the information in front of them. You know, the human mind, uh, this this applies to general marketing, you know, you're trying to get, you know, seven to ten touches at the low end uh, before you can start expecting somebody to start paying attention to your brand or or, or your message, right? But something that goes along with that is as you get that frequency, the human mind begins to process the data. That's just reality. Uh, Whether or not it's it's not a conscious thought, subconscious thought, you begin and that becomes a conscious thought. So if you, over the course of a politician's term, you're putting just the insanity of their actions in front of a voter over and over and over and over again, it's you know four months, five months, six months, seven months in. They will begin to question the actions of that politician by default. It's not supposition. That is what will happen. It happens on a much smaller scale already from little small campaigns that get run. So you just extrapolate out the logic. You do it an entire term. It's reasonable to assume that we're causing a shift.
1: Sure, and it's not like, I mean, we talk about how uninformed the electorate is and how uninformed the voters are, and uh, it may be true in many cases if we keep seeing these incumbents voted in again and again and again, but it's not like people don't care. That sort of uninformedness might just become from cynicism over the electoral process, cynicism that, that they're actually able to change anything, but it's not like people don't pay attention when presented with certain issues. I mean, just take for maybe a silly example, depending on your perspective, but, you know, something that did catch fire, the Cecil the lion issue. I mean, that was only, you know, brought up through social media, and suddenly you have all these people outraged by this, the killing of this lion. Now, I mean, it's a totally separate issue, but if, if similarly, when we know that so many people, like you said, are spending, oh my god, 14 on social media, and, you know, if that's what's in front of them, and we know that certain issues can catch fire with people, it seems quite logical that, yes, of course, if we present this information, put it out in, in front of people— in the area in the medium that they're already using all day long, of course it's going to be effective. How can it not be?
0: And speaking of the Cecil issue, uh, so Twitter actually has two different trend types when you go and do a search and you, know, you see different trending. Uh they'll have, you know, global and national issues as well as, you know, if there's something going on in your local district, um, they'll kind of insert that into the top ten trends. Um and What's pretty interesting is you only need about, it varies, but generally, if you get, uh, you know, two to 3,000 tweets in a relatively short period of time, a trend will start to, you know, hashtag will start to show up inside of your geographic area. So I'm in Nashville and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here these days. So, you know, concerts and all this kind of stuff. So things that are happening in Nashville will start to trend for me because I live here. Um, So you put that same kind of logic into what we're talking about now and, you can spark it through the paid side uh, initially and then, to your point, extrapolate that out and start a trend, you've now the ability to reasonably go on fire with that particular issue.
1: So what are some current campaigns you're working on? What kind of issues have already come across that you paid for at site thus far?
0: As we're getting everything going, we decided to kind of focus on a little bit broader issues. So we haven't got quite into the individual targeting yet We're actually working on a campaign for uh, to go after my own congressman. He annoys me. And, uh, and we're also getting ready to get – we're working on one for uh, one of my senators, Bob Corker.
1: So you're not just the founder. You're a customer as well.
0: Oh, uh, well, I, I've, put a, I've put a decent amount of money, uh, personal money, into getting to this point. So we're working on stuff for Corker. I'm very annoyed with him about uh, his sponsorship of the bill that completely reversed the constitutional approval process of treaties, but that's a whole nother argument. But uh, once we've already got up and running, we got uh, an analysis of the government uh, spending increase since 2008. Um, it's actually pretty interesting when you look at the data. So in 2008, uh, we had all-time record spending in the history of the United States at $2.9 trillion. Uh, we had $2.5 trillion in tax revenue. Fast forward to this year, and it's actually gone up since we produced the video, but uh the government is setting a record in revenue on pace for $3.4 trillion in tax revenue. So we're talking about a $900 billion in more money that they're getting from us, okay? And the current budget for this year is $3.9 trillion. So not only have we gone up in spending a trillion dollars, they've also gone up in revenue almost a trillion dollars. But they sit there and talk about how uh, they're decreasing the deficit spending and all this kind. Of, we're decreasing spending. We're decreasing spending. No, you're not. You're, you're literally spending a trillion dollars more than you were in 2008. Let's get real. Um, another one uh, we did on uh, was called. Uh, it's a pretty funny campaign. It's called Deer Road Suck.
1: The answer is probably almost universally yes, if my uh, my experience on a roads in America or anything.
0: We're driving over potholes and bridges that are falling apart. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Right now, they're arguing in, uh, in Congress about increasing the gas tax and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what's pretty funny is when you actually look at the numbers, this one blew my mind when I researched it. Uh, so the entire interstate system, 47,856 miles of it, uh, was built – In for the equivalent in today's dollars, $425 billion, the entire interstate system. Okay. Uh, The federal gas tax currently brings in this actually is increased every year since, well, actually, every year in history, now up to $41 billion a year. Uh, So if you look at, if you do the math, the amount of money coming in to the federal coffers from gas tax every 10 years, we could do the equivalent. Of rebuilding the entire interstate system. Uh, but they tell us they don't have enough money to resurface the roads. Well, that doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. Now, when you also, other, one of the things we injected in there was uh, you remember the stimulus package? Oh, yeah. Back then? Okay.
1: That's what saved the economy, right? Come on. How could I forget? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, do you remember the uh, politicians arguing to us and why they need to spend that money? Their argument was uh, shovel ready jobs, right? Remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was going to go to roads and bridges. Well, guess how much of that money actually ended up going to roads and bridges?
1: At least some of it, because I do drive by a sign that, that touts it every time on the, out on the freeways here in L.A. <laughs> so there, some of it's going to roads, but I, I don't know. I suspect that the percentage isn't quite uh, you know, up, to, up to par.
0: Yeah, I, I, the percentage is 3%. So 3% <laughs> of $840 billion actually went to roads and bridges. Uh, but let's, look, let's think about that math again. If in today's dollars it costs $425 billion to build the entire interstate system – and we spent $840 billion, right? We literally spent double the amount of money it took to build it from scratch. We're talking about blowing up mountains here, right? <laughs> going building up, raising swamps and everything else to build these roads. Now we're talking about just resurfacing these things um, you know, and resupporting uh, bridges and whatnot. You're never going to convince me that there hasn't been an exorbitant waste of money, especially when, you can also research this data for yourself, the cost to build a road... Has actually gone down, so it's getting cheaper and cheaper to build and resurface roads. However, and they're getting more and more money, but our roads are getting worse and worse and worse. Something's
1: not adding up there. <laughs> exactly, uh, John. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, about your podcast before we wrap up? What do you? What kind of stuff do you talk about on on the show?
0: I Appreciate that. The podcast, uh, you know, I, I kind of shift back and forth between you know different issues that are going on at the time I do I do the episode, and then also kind of and do some research into. Interesting, entertaining subjects uh, such as you know top eight things there are examples of government waste. And I went and researched some some different things, and you know the stuff I came up with on where our tax money goes. I mean, some of it's just hilarious. The like, really, you actually how do you actually justify to yourself as the politician granting this much money to go be spent on these things that are just incredibly wasteful, in my opinion. And I I leave that up to you to kind of make a decision and what your opinion is. But I think if you go go listen to it, research and then go and research them for yourselves, uh, you'll be blown away at the the waste.
1: Do you have any examples of just maybe some of the more ridiculous ones that have stood out to you lately that that you've come across ridiculous things government has spent money on?
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's quite a few. I'm sure it's hard to pick just one or two. But. Well, well, this one, for, uh, for anybody with a significant other, this one may or may not seem ludicrous to you, but uh, 100 $191,000 was given to a couple of researchers for a 21-day test. Okay. Oh, yeah, maybe that's a you know, comprehensive test. Maybe that it's justifiable. Oh, no. The test was to see how people would stab with, with pins would stab a voodoo doll that represented their significant other. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So we're, let, let's think about this for a second in terms of research dollars. Where would that money go, right? Who comes up with this stuff? Well, I, well, I, I joked about this. But people
1: with money to spend, I guess, huh?
0: <laughs> people with money to spend, but I, I think, you know, whoever one of the researchers must have had a serious issue with their significant other at some point. But I,
1: I guess so, and, and voodoo.
0: Yeah. But let's think about this. You could go to, uh, I'm not making this up here. I mean, you could go to Hobby Lobby and, or another craft store and buy the stuffing and you know, the material you need to create voodoo dolls. And then we're talking about buying pins. Yeah. You, know, you can buy a hundred of them for two bucks. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about, you know, massive research equipment and, and what that's needed for this kind of study. No, $191,000. Wow.
1: Well, John, I mean, I, I think that's a good example when when people aren't held accountable for their actions, and they have other people's money to spend. I you know, why go to Hobby Lobby when you can just order from maybe your buddy's pin company or what have you? I'm sure there's a lot of crony capitalist elements in all of this spending, up uh, you know, up and down the line. And I'm glad that you're out there doing this project to try to open people's eyes about this stuff. And because uh, you know what. We're not going to change anything just by sitting on our hands and just, you know, maybe screaming about it on the internet like I do. We do need some people out there that are actually trying to bring new people into this. And when everybody's on social media, that's the place to target, and that's exactly what you're doing. John, before I let you go, why don't you just run through how everybody can find more info about You Paid For It, how they can get in touch with that program, um, how they can find your podcast, how they can get in touch with you.
0: Absolutely. Appreciate it very much. So the website is YouPaidFor, so F-O-R, not the number, it. You can follow us on Twitter at YouPaidFor, send me on Facebook, forward slash YouPaidFor. You can shoot me an email if you want to directly, john at YouPaidFor.it. Uh, we also got forms and stuff on the site. You can submit issues and let us know about what you want to do. I'd uh, love to hear from you. I love your support. Uh, like I said, the money that comes in goes directly to calling on our politicians. I'm not doing this to turn into some kind of giant revenue stream for myself. Uh, I want us to create a way that we can, in perpetuity, control our politicians and not let them continue to drive us into the dirt.
1: John Maddox, everybody. You paid for it. Check it out, John. Best of luck.
0: Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate it very much.
1: All right. That was my man, John Maddox. Have you paid for it? I, of course, have my own thoughts in the last roar in a moment. But first, guys, speaking of outrageous spending, have you seen... The cost of insurance that has gone up astronomically for most people since the ACA slash Obamacare was enacted. Well, I have because I buy my own insurance as a freelancer, and I saw the cost of my insurance more than double. I saw my premiums double. I saw my deductibles double. And I'm a healthy guy. I wanted catastrophic insurance. Now it's illegal. Well, you know, I drew the line. And I looked into an alternative, and I found one. And it's an exciting alternative presented by our friends at Health Excellence Select, who will enroll you in a health-sharing plan, help you find doctors, get you discounts 24-7 access to medical professionals. Not only that, for most people, it's a heck of a lot more affordable than Obamacare. So to learn more about Health Excellence Select, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. And while John Maddox, our guest, has some great ideas about ways to reach people, ways to get the political conversation going, there's another way you can do it, and that's by wearing a witty or satirical political t-shirt from our friends at LibertyManiacs.com. Our buddy Dan McCall has created all sorts of hilarious t-shirts, mugs, bumper stickers, pillows yeah even pillows you name it and i'm telling you wear one of these when i wear my i'm ready for oligarchy t-shirt i get looks i sometimes get into conversations people think i'm a hillary supporter so they get a little close and see what it's really all about so you never know how you can get a good political conversation started but i can guarantee you that wearing gear from LibertyManiacs.com will help you can get 10 percent off your entire order by using the discount code lions of liberty and guys i already know what some of you guys are thinking i know because I know how you think, I'm inside your heads. Oh well, no, I'm inside my own head too. Because <laughs> I used to be, I still am. Look, I'm not saying I'm not cynical about politics, about affecting political change on a day-to-day basis. I can be cynical because I see that a lot of my fellow man is not as engaged as I am. Well, that's why I do this show. That's why I founded LionsOfLiberty.com several years ago with several of my college friends from Penn State. If that's right, that's where the lion comes from—the Nittany Lion little secret. It's not really a secret. We've talked about it on this show many times before for a long time listeners. But you know, the point is we can change the world. A- every institution, whether it's a, you know, a private government accountability institution or a government institution, whatever, they are all run by human beings and they all in one way or another are accountable to other human beings. Now they may not be acting accountable Incumbents certainly don't feel accountable. But I think a large part of that is is A, yes, the system is rigged in many ways, and B, a large part of the electorate, perhaps because of said rigging, because of some internal recognition of that, feels very disconnected to the system. They feel like they can't change anything, so why pay attention? But look, if we break it down logically, look, any organization that's run by human beings can be influenced by other human beings. If you're a private organization, you need to get money from people. If you're a government organization, ultimately, you need the will of at least a decent amount of the population on your side unless you run a regime like North Korea, and even in that case, if the entire population of North Korea decide to get up and revolt, they could do it. Doesn't mean any of it's easy. It's not easy when you have a crony capitalist slash fascist system. We've talked about it on the show before. I'll link to it in the show notes, lionsofliberty.com slash 137. I'll link to a couple interviews we've done on the, the sort of fascist, corporatist nature of our economy. It is very rigged in many ways. But at the end of the day, look. Look at the outrage of Cecil the Lion. People are pissed off. This doctor, who knows? he's, He's like in hiding right now. This poor dentist that went on this hunting expedition. And who knows if he even meant to kill a lion off the reservation or what have you. But the fact is, I mean, humans are game hunting all over the world every single day. And normally they don't have to run and hide. But, you know, whether you agree with it or not, the fact is many, many people took on to this issue, and it was all through social media. So it's a fact that we can change the way people view certain things. It's a fact that we can bring attention to certain issues. And it's a fact that most people, no matter what their government philosophy is, don't like seeing their money thrown away. Even if you're a progressive and you support Obamacare, (laughs) hope you made it through my little plug back there, but even if you're a progressive and you support all these huge government programs and you support all the spending... You don't want to see money spent on... I mean, John and I were talking off air. There's a study for mountain lions running on treadmills to to discover the effect of them. I'm not even joking. That's a real thing. $850,000 spent on that. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous. But these are the kind of issues that can pop out to people and get people engaged in politics. And now, when you got a guy who set up this proven model of crowdfunding and of targeting people via social media, it seems like a way that we can really at least wake some people up. Now, a lot of internet libertarians... As I am myself, yes, I know, are out there harping on philosophy all the time. As I am myself, I know. But that does not mean we cannot practically change the system in many ways. And there are many ways you can make people more politically aware and get them more engaged. And for some people, it might be from hearing about, you know, a voodoo doll study, you know, as ridiculous as it is. But we have to find ways to reach people. And I'm no social media genius. I'm no social marketing genius. I'm no messaging genius. But I do know all of our structures in society, all of our institutions, at the end of the day, are going to be influenced by people. If there are people out there like John Maddox that can find creative and inventive ways to reach people, to show them about issues you know they're going to care about if they are actually informed about them, well, I think that's something we got to support and something we got to look into. So I was pleased to have John Maddox on the show today. Please do check out YouPaidFor.it. Please do check out our own site, lionsofliberty.com. We've got fresh content every single day. Of course, this podcast is published every single Monday and Thursday at lionsofliberty.com. You can find us on the radio from time to time on our good friends at libertytalk.fm, 6 p.m. Eastern. Every single Saturday and Sunday, you can also hear us throughout the week the Liberty Radio Network. Of course, please do communicate with us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Lions of Liberty over on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. And if you want to interact with myself, with some of our past guests on this show and other contributors on our website, I'd like to invite you over to join the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can just search that on Facebook, or you can find a link to it over at the show notes for the show. Again, that is lionsofliberty.com slash 137. Until next time, folks, I only have one message for you, my friends, and it doesn't cost you a dime. It is to live long and live free. Mastery is John's Dolphin.